Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see some of our college students back from the summer, so welcome. We're going to be continuing our series this morning in the book of Malachi. So we'll be in Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to be covering a massive chunk today. So not even quite sure how I'm going to do it, but we're going to move through it and move through it rather quickly. And so I would encourage you guys even after today to go back and look at Malachi again, because we're just going to move through this quickly, which means we're not going to do this as a verse by verse. We're going to look at kind of three big sections and tackle it the best that we can. So Malachi chapter 3, we're going to start with chapter 7, or I'm sorry, with with chapter 3, verse 7, and then we're going to move through the end of chapter 4. We've titled this series in Malachi, Empty Religion, and we've titled it that because what, what, what is seen throughout the book is this, is, is it's fully possible to do all the right things and go through all the correct motions and be completely dead on the inside, which is a really scary thought. We see this even in Jesus' time. He has his harshest words, not for those who were looked like outsiders, but for those who appeared to be insiders, but technically were outsiders, for the religious leaders, he had the strongest words to say. He called them whitewashed tombs, which is kind of like saying you're putting perfume on a dead, decaying body. And so it's one of those things where uh, this is uh, empty religion when you just go through the motions and do stuff for God, thinking that your actions or what you're doing is earning you some sort of favor or acceptance before God. And so it's possible that for many people that they go through a majority of their life doing this, and then at some point it hits them, I think I'm just going through the motions. I don't know that why I've ever done what I've done. It's not because I've been gripped by the gospel. It's not because I've been gripped by the love and the grace of God. I've just done it. And I believe that Malachi has the ability, through the strong words of the prophet, to slow us down and make us wrestle with a lot that's going on here. It's a post-exilic book, uh, among two other post-exilic books. My wife said I used that word last week without uh, clarifying what post-exilic means. And so post-exilic means post-exile. So any book that was written after the exile and after the uh, Israelites returned back home from their Babylonian exile, there's three of those books. Malachi is one of those books. And Malachi also means messenger because we're supposed to focus on the message more than we are upon the person who's giving it. We don't know a ton about him other than it seems like he was shaped uh, by Nehemiah. But other than that, we don't know a ton about him. Why? Because we're called to focus in on the message. So it's a little bit of an interesting main point this morning, what, what I want us to walk away with. But it'd be kind of two, two things, and that's our treasured possession. Our treasured possession. But the other thing is, is that oftentimes... One of the things that we don't talk about a ton in the church or talk about a lot or it's not explicit from the pulpit is the Trinity. And so I want us to even look at this morning what it is for uh, for, uh, the Trinity to be a a Trinity of treasure. And so amongst the Trinity and amongst their relationship, we would say there's this treasure and there's this delight. And through Christ, we get to be caught up in this treasure and in this delight. But, but, But we have a triune God, God who's three, God who's one. And there's this treasure that the one God who's also three, treasure and delight in one another, and we get to take part of that in Christ. So we're going to look at that this morning. I'm not a big didactic four points guy. I'm normally just, here's a main point, very simple-minded, but where there's going to be four points this morning, it's a big section. So first we're going to look at that those that are treasured by God, treasured God most. So 
the treasured, treasure God most. Then we're going to look at the treasure take heed and turn. Then we're going to look at there is still time to be treasured. And then we're going to look at how the treasured actually treasure God's word. So with that, we're going to pray. While I pray, you guys can pray for me. I prayed with a couple ladies this morning, and uh, I called our group an emotional group because we were all uh, emotional this morning, just a lot going on in our lives, a lot that we're processing through and, and all that stuff. So uh, my, my oldest has hand, foot, and mouth found out this morning. So by God's providence, uh, my mom was driving up here this morning, so she's hanging out with mom. And so if I've shaken your guys' hand this morning, you're welcome. So I'm, I'm kidding. I, I've, I've washed my hands and, and all that. Apparently, it's not contagious to adults. So, and she's not back in the kids' area, so parents don't run out of here grabbing your kids. So, she's good. She's at home. But you guys can just pray for us and just, yeah. There's a lot going on in the community, but here's what I believe. That God is good, and I don't just say that. I think the older I get, the more I actually believe that God is good. And what was apparent this morning is that we have a God that wants to speak to us today. And we're going to look at how Christ is a healer. And I believe that Christ actually wants to meet with and heal people um, today and in this room. And so I trust in that. I trust in God's goodness. And so let's pray and we'll dive in. Fathers, we look at what it is to be treasured, what it is to be your treasured possession. I pray that our hearts would be gripped by the gospel. I pray that our hearts would long for you, that our greatest treasure would be you. Father, I thank you that you speak and that you've spoken. You've spoken through a prophet like Malachi, but Father, you speak to us through your word today. Let us grow in a treasure of your word because we are ultimately growing in a treasure and delight in you. Father, this world has so many things that are pulling at us. The reality is as many are sitting in this room next to someone that they probably treasure more than you. There's things inside and outside of this room that we treasure more than you, and the reality is is we need to know and understand why you treasuring us and us treasuring you is the greatest treasure that we can have. So through your spirit, speak, through your spirit, minister, through your spirit, heal today. Lord Jesus, thank you for going uh, before us. Thank you for coming to this earth, to walk this earth, to live on this earth, and to provide the rescue that we ultimately need to give us the greatest treasure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've brought in some props this morning, so a little bit of show and tell for you guys. So you're in luck. And the reason why is because this, is that as, as we talk about the first part of this section, verses 7 through 15, what we're actually seeing is, is this, is that uh, the people that understand that you are treasured by God will actually treasure God the most. But the reality is, is that we live life treasuring just about everything else. And we treasure materials, and we treasure many things. We don't have a treasuring problem, we have a a worship problem of of what we do treasure. And the reality is this, is that many of the things that we treasure today and right now that we're living for are things that in years from now won't even matter. I mean, won't even matter, period. I've also realized this, that people that talk the most about their treasures are oftentimes the people that are most spiritually bankrupt people. Because you have to find something to boast in to make up for something that's lacking in your life. But to the point of treasures and things that we live for, I have a few. One are these bad boys right here. My, I just heard my wife say, oh dear. So, this is probably utterly ridiculous. I, I'm aware, aware of that. But did you know that back in the day that these are all I wanted just about more than anything? 
And, and you laugh, and we can all laugh because it's utterly ridiculous. But these are what I wanted. I was like, I will do anything to get those white Oakleys that look hideous on my face. And then, to make matters worse, the first time I met my wife, I wore them like this. Thank you. I have, a, I have some words for what this represents that aren't pulpit material, but tool would, would be appropriate to say. Hell, fellas, I'm just trying to help you out, so take notes. Ladies, don't dig this. I treasured this. Th th this is what I had. Other things that, 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 that I treasured, I thought about preaching with this stuff on the whole time, but no one would take me serious. So these, the, <laughs> most of my clothes, I told you guys, and you'll also be aware of this, when you get married, you don't actually get to dress yourself anymore, or you, th you think you are, but uh, your wardrobe's just going to shift. So these are pants I used to wear. I wouldn't wear them today because baggies out. So those wide leg bottoms also, you're welcome, free material here. These things are just big baggy pants, but we spend a lot of, listen, please, we spend a lot of money on clothes that we actually don't even use after a year that aren't that cool anymore and our, and, and our closets are filled. Now, I'm going to give some statistics a little bit later, but, but we spend a lot of money on, on, on treasured materials like, like clothing. I have this as well, something that just doesn't fit anymore because we outgrow our clothing. That happens with age. I have this. No, no shame up here, guys. This is, this, is, uh, this is for hair treatment. So this is supposedly uh, will make your hair last longer. One day, I'm confident that I will think this was the dumbest investment I ever made. Tw 20 bucks. Bear with me, because where this is funny, I'm just going to warn you guys up front, it's going to be a really hard word for us. So get your laughter out now, because it's coming. So this. This is what I spent almost a decade of my life living for. These are, th these are fighting gloves. You know these sit up in my attic, literally, in, in a bag, collecting dust. I had to pull it down today, literally wipe, there was dust all over it. Don't care about them. I gave my life to this. Literally gave my life to this. And, and, and this, is, this is quite literally about all I had to show for. This was my treasured possession that I hold dearest to my heart. In fact, I didn't date, my wife knows this, for five years of my life because I didn't want anyone to, to get in the way of what I was doing. The thing that I held most dear to me is something that sits up in the attic of my house now and I just don't care about. I don't talk about fighting that much, not because I'm ashamed of it, I just, I don't really care that much about it. I don't watch it anymore. Not because I think it's bad, I just don't really care. But for years, this held my heart and, 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 and held my heart captive and I gave all of my time and my money and my resources to it. It's pretty dead to me now. And I believe that as we look at Malachi's word for the Israelites, I hope, I hope this, that as we look at it this morning, that it wouldn't just be another thing that we turn and walk away from unmoved by the word of God, but I hope that we would let the word of God bear down on our hearts and at least evaluate it this morning. I'm going to say this. As we look at money and as we look at finances and we look at that stuff, you know this is the one area where it's like, man, I brought someone to church this morning. Please don't talk about this. This is the one area that makes people uncomfortable. But no, this is the one area that makes me uncomfortable. So you have one set of eyes staring at you. I have a lot more on me. Why do we get so uncomfortable by talking about money? Because money is really the one thing that we, in a sense, treasure and wrap our fist around and clench tight. 
So let's look at verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how? How? How how are we to return? Do you know that what it simply starts off here in the book of Malachi is this call to repent? And (laughs) is... (laughs) is a call for repentance and faith. And did you know that Martin Luther actually said that all of the Christian life, Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, says all of our life is supposed to be that of repentance and faith, that we never grow out of repentance and faith, that all of the Christian life is not this one time we repent from sin and we look to the cross, but all of our lives is lived with this, that we repent from our sin on a daily matter and we live in light of the cross of Christ. That's how we live as Christians. His last note that he actually wrote and scribbled on a piece of paper is that we are all beggars, meaning that we are all deeply in need of the cross of Christ. And so God starts off here is turn, just turn, repent, and I will turn to you. This is the same language that James uses in his letter. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And they're saying, well, well, How? It's a pretty simple question. And then he says in verse 8, look here. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. He's not saying taking. He's saying rob, strong language. Will you rob me? But you are robbing me. And then they say right back to that, how? How, how, how are we robbing you? And he, he gives the answer, in your tithes and contributions. Do not preach topically. We do not proof text. We do not pick passages that we like to preach that make us feel warm and cozy. This is what the Word of God says, and so we need to talk about it. Verse 9 says, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We'll pause there. Do you know this, that that what's going on in the book of Malachi is they are uh, in, in, in a state of poverty. So they are poor, they are run down, their temple is run down, and they are fed up with God because in their eyes they're like, wait a minute, we're doing a lot of this stuff and you don't seem to be holding up your end of the bargain, which is not how the gospel works. And so they're frustrated and, and, and they're angry and they're fed up. But did you know that the very structure that God set up for the nation of Israel was the means to care for their impoverished state? Literally. You don't have to look all these up right now, but, but, but God called them to give one-tenth. This is less than what Joseph called. This is less than what other people, uh, uh, other kings were calling people to give at 33%. This is different from Roman taxation. The way that God has set it up, it's like God knew what he was doing. He did it for four reasons. One is that they could take care of their priests through giving one-tenth and through giving 10%, listen, of, of, of their harvest of their produce. That's what they were supposed to give one-tenth of. They could take care of their priests and the priests could spiritually take care of them. Number two, because said, we're going to be moving rather quickly. It was used to care for the poor. So this one-tenth they were called to give was actually meant to turn around and give back into the family of God to help take care of them. Number three, it was used as a means of celebration for those who feared God, for those that had an awe of God. This is Deuteronomy 14.26. Read it later, but it actually says, uh, for those of you that are traveling, what you can do is you can turn your produce, whatever it is, into money so that when you get to the temple, you can buy one of four things. Ox, sheep, strong drink, or wine. Why? Whatever your appetite desires so that you can be in fear of God. Why? 
You can buy these things so you can celebrate that, that, that we have a good God that has redeemed us, that has purchased us. So for, for the first three things, you give a tenth for the priest, you give a tenth to take care of the poor among you, you give a tenth to celebrate. God's giving money back to them to celebrate that he's a good God. And the fourth is, is it was a way to trust God and remove pride and greed and selfishness from their hearts. And so it was a matter of what do you trust that God will provide for you or that you need this to provide for yourself? And he's saying, you're actually robbing me through, through this. And what's crazy, again, is this, is that if they would have done God's system and what God had set up for the care of his people, they wouldn't be in the position they were in. What we do with money reveals a lot about us, Period. The way that we view money reveals a lot about us, period. Mark McKay's dad said that money is a tool. As soon as we see money as something other than a tool, like a God, that's when it is a vice that can control us. And so part of this, understand this, does God need anything from us? Absolutely not. Not at all. In fact, inside of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, they didn't need anyone. They created humanity to share a relationship with. God has no need, period. So why would God order these things? To take care of his people and to also release his people from something that can control their heart. I've seen pride. I've seen it in my life. I've seen greed in my life. But I see it in my children and I go, oh, it's ugly. It's ugly. And you know that people will come to me and they're like, we should preach on just about anything. Purity, holiness, you name it. You know that rarely anyone ever comes and says, hey, can you preach on greed? <laughs> like, Why? Because it's like the one area that we all struggle with, but no one really talks that much about. Here's some statistics. The average American owns 30 outfits. In 1930, it was nine. That's Forbes. I'm not going to give you all the sites here. If you want them, you can come later. The average American throws away 65 pounds of clothing per year. Did you know that we used to actually give clothing away? Now we sell clothing back to get more money for more clothing, if you think about it. 15, are, uh, Americans donate 1.9% of their income each year to charitable causes, 1.9, while 6 billion people around the world live on $13,000 annually. Seems like maybe God had a system to help with some of this. Shopping malls outnumber high schools, at, and 93% of teenage girls rank shopping as their favorite pastime. Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches, actually $100 billion a year, than on higher education. Our annual spending cost. It, 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 is, it is estimated that at any point in time, a woman can have up uh, 4 to $11 on her face and spend upwards of $300,000 on cosmetic beauty in her lifetime. Apparel is, is roughly now around $1,800 a year, so roughly $150 a month. Some of you guys are like, man, I blow that out of the water. Entertainment is around $3,000 a year, roughly $243 a month. Every year, consumers shell out $1,200, a little bit more than that, on beer alone, roughly $106 a month. Some record spending an average of $75 to $100 a week, which is roughly in between four to $5,000 a year on booze alone. I'm, I'm not coming down on booze. I'm not coming down on alcohol. I actually just said that God's word said you can buy wine or strong drink. What I'm saying is this, is that we don't have a giving problem. We have a worship problem of what we treasure. What we spend money on actually shows what we are living for. 
And it's, it, it's either the kingdom of God, it's things that have eternal matter, or it's a bunch of stuff like this pile right here that's not going to mean squat to anyone in several years. Ronnie once said in, in one of our meetings that I think that generosity shows spiritual maturity, and I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I don't think you can get around with that. And if you grasp the, 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 the grace of God and God giving his most treasured and greatest gift in Jesus Christ and can look at that and go, eh, no sense of generosity here. I think there's something wrong with that. Many go, well, that was the Old Testament. This is the New. Yeah, this is what the New Testament says. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, meaning this, that it's no longer just this one mark that you can hit and say, I'm, I'm, I'm good with God. It's actually that God has always cared about the heart and what you treasure and what you're giving for, what you're giving out of. And I'll say this, in closing out this section about that those that are treasured, treasure God most, is we could ask ourselves an honest question right now. Do, does it seem like that, that, that what we treasure most is actually God or all the things that God has created? What I said, I'll say in closing is this, is a couple weeks ago when Mark preached, he talked about secret sin. And I would say there is no such thing as secret sin. Tim Keller, one of my favorite preachers, talks about this, but he says that what you do in the uh, privacy of your own bedroom still impacts the entire community of God and still impacts generations to come. And he would explain that even through pornography. That you can say it's just something that I do, but the reality is you're paying into, it, into a system that is object, uh, objectifying women and, the, and you're keeping a system uh, funded and alive today that, that, that has the ability to destroy children's lives one day. It's not a private sin. Giving. I don't know what you give. I don't know what you spend your money on. I don't know what you treasure. The priests were not able to track that. Here's the thing, is that pride and greed and these sort of things do impact a community. There is no such thing as private sin. There is no such thing that doesn't impact a community. What they were doing was impacting one another. And I would say that when we don't model generosity, we impact one another. Why? Because let the world be defined by what all they have and let Christianity be defined by what we give because ultimately we are defined by what Christ has given. Verse 16 through 18, as we jump forward, we're going to move past 13, uh, 14 and 15. It's, it's basically them saying this. I'll briefly hit on it. We, we talked about this last week, but they are frustrated with God. A after this charge that God gives about robbing, they're like, You're, uh, um, what's the point? It's all in vain, as we see in verse 14, to serve God. And now we see that the arrogant and, and the evildoers, they're all blessed, and so it doesn't matter anyways. And I would say this, that for those of you in this room that are going through a hard time, and maybe that's your stance and position today, let me say this, please. We need to view God's love in light of our circumstances instead of our circumstances in light of God's love. So we, 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 we need to view that whenever we're going through certain circumstances in life, whether they're really, really, really good, that does not mean that God's love is very present in our lives. Whenever it's very, very bad, it doesn't mean that God's love is absent in our lives. We have to view God's love in light of our circumstances. If not, we will go through life seeing this deal that we have with God where I did this for you, now you do this for me, and we treat God like a vending machine, not understanding that God gives everything and that your circumstances don't dictate his love for you. That's anti-gospel. 
verse 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord, so there's this strong word that comes, and then there's this category now. Those who feared the Lord, who had this awe, this reverence. There's several meanings for fear. This one here is awe. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So they, they heard all this, and they're like, man, this is a hard word. And so they spoke with one another. Look here. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. This is where we're getting treasured from. from. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. What's going on? Here's what's going on. If right now, after we talk about those who, treasure, tre- those who are treasured by God, treasure God most, then the, the treasured possession, the, the treasured people of God, right now, take heed and listen. So if that last section made you go, eh, it's all good. I've heard this stuff. Just move it along, preacher. That's the Israelites' response. And if that's your spot now, and that's where you're at, you're like, I don't want to hear this, then please listen. Because this is who Malachi's talking to. He's talking to the people that are like, I don't want to hear that. Look at the, the, the shambles that my life is in. Look at my marriage. Look at my relationships. Look at all this stuff. I don't want to hear that. But there's those that are actually understanding that they are treasured by God. They go, oh boy, let's listen. And do you know what, what, what one scholar says? This isn't a call for those that are just the incredible outcast or those that we would deem like that to listen. This is a call for those of you that think you're really spiritual to listen. This is a call for elders to listen. This is a call for me to listen. This is a call for, for pastors to listen. This is a call for everyone to listen and turn and take heed because those that are treasured by God will turn. They will take heed. They will listen to what God has to say. And here's the thing. I can't produce that. And it's the most frustrating thing as a pastor. I can't make anyone love God more. I can't make anyone listen. I can't shape a heart. I can't make a hardened heart turn soft. I can't. What I can do is do this, is trust in the Spirit of God and trust that there's those in this room that are listening that say, uh-oh, what do I do? What do I need to do? What's going on? And we're given this passage here where it's talked about that God has this treasured possession. You have to understand, this isn't a checking account. This isn't even a savings account. This is the safety deposit box that's being talked about here. This is not the, your money. This is not your savings account. This is the thing that you hold most dear. God's saying, I have a treasured possession. And he's saying those that take heed, those that are listening now, he's writing them in this book. We see this book talked about all throughout the redemptive narrative, all throughout the Bible. And, and, and Revelation ends with talking about a book that you remembered in. I have to see this as that book because God uses this here to talk about a treasured possession. Verse 17, highlight treasured possession in your Bible. Underline treasured possession in your Bible. Verse 17, why? Because look what God says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I, not when you, but when I make up my treasured possession. When I deem them, when I call them, when I save them, when, when, when I make them my treasured possession, my closest thing. You know the thing that God holds the most dear is the Father and the Son. Same for the, same, same for the Son and for the same, same for the Spirit. He's saying, on the day, I will make them my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a, as a father spares a son. 
Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. How will we see this distinction? Repentance and faith. Those that turn from sin. Those that trust in the cross of Christ. Those that persevere throughout this for the rest of their lives. It's not a one-time thing. If you are someone who never sees sin in your life, or if you're someone, please listen, that, that thinks that sanctification is sinning less, you are missing it. Sanctification is seeing your ever-growing need for Jesus Christ in your life and declaring it. Sanctification is seeing more of a need for the cross, more of a need for God's grace, not less of it. Sanctification means being made in the likeness of Christ. A pastor friend of ours back in Reno asked another young man, and I think it's applicable here. He said, what is the difference in your life with Jesus or without? And the other guy was like, uh, confused. He's like, I don't understand because he goes, to me, you just seem like, like, a good, like a good guy. Like I don't actually see a hunger for Jesus. I actually don't see a hunger for God. I actually just see that Christianity provides a blanket for your life to live under your morals. But he goes, if, if, if Jesus wasn't in your life, would you look any different? And to that, he didn't have a great answer for. Why? Because it wasn't actually Jesus that we could see that was stirring up his heart to love and to good works. It was just a love for his own morality. This is a call for those that were listening then, for that are listening now, to say, if you are treasured, if you're God's treasured possession, whether if you consider yourself the greatest rule breaker or rule, fo rule follower, are you someone who is showing that you are listening and turning and, and, and taking heed and growing in repentance and faith in your life? Chapter 4. There is time to be treasured. That's this section. There is time. It says, For behold... Lynn Jacobson, who attends here, uh, told me this is one of her favorite Hebrew words, the word behold here that we see here and that we see at the beginning of verse 5. In Hebrew, it is pronounced hine, and she can correct me on that if that's wrong. But she said this is a bomb drop word. Whenever we see hine in, in, in all of Scripture, it is like the jaw-dropping moment. It is like, listen up. We see this whenever Abraham is on the mountain with his son, Isaac. We see this in big moments throughout Scripture, and we see it now. It's like, for Hine, behold, listen, this is a big moment. The day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers, what, why, why the separation between two words? Because there are those that are arrogant, that are presumptuous, that believe that their right, good life is what keeps them in good standing with God, but there's also the evildoers that reject the cross of Christ because they just want the treasures of this world. So he's putting them all together and he's saying, when all the arrogant, when all the presumptuous, self-righteous, religious, empty, dead people, and all the evildoers who just make it a habit of doing this, will become stubble. They'll be burnt up. It's not a fun word. The day is coming that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. This is a hard and strong word, guys. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You shall go about leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. What is going on? He says, there's a day coming. 
when the sun, like the sun, the light is going to burn things up. We know this about the actual literal physical sun on planet Earth is that the sun has medicinal purposes and it has medicinal value. It actually has been uh, shown to help prevent cancer. It's actually been, uh, it, it increases our body's production of vitamin D. It helps with moods. It helps with seasonal affective disorder. The sun has a lot of medicinal purposes, right? But the sun can also do what? On the same side. It can cause cancer. It can be something of destruction. It can lead to dehydration, to overheating, to exhaustion. And, and, and so what he's saying here is, is that this day that's coming, for some, it is going to be, as we see in verse 5, the next hine, look down with me. This day, behold, hine, I will send you Elijah the prophet. On the great, and a, a better translation is dreadful, the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Because when the Lord comes, it's going to be awesome. For some people, that's what Malachi is saying here. But it's also going to be extremely dreadful and awful for some people. What would make the difference? What makes the difference is this. Is whether if Christ is your treasured possession or not. The people that would celebrate the day of the coming would see the justice of God and say that I deserve to pay the price. But the message of Christianity is Christ praised the price for me. And for them they would say, man, it's awesome. Jesus stood in my place like we talked about last week. Jesus took the judgment that I deserve. He took the wrath that I deserve. Therefore, I'm protected in Christ. The others would say, man, it's a dreadful day. Why? Because someone's going to have to pay the judgment and the cost of sin for your life. And you have one of two choices. That's it. God's only provided two. Either you will stand in the day of judgment before God as holy and perfect. And if we can all admit, I am the furthest from that. And neither would any of us qualify as holy and perfect. Which means this, that either we will sit in judgment before God or Christ sits in judgment in our place. But there's something more that's going on here that's, that's, that's far more beautiful is you have to understand how, how, how a Hebrew would have read this and understand this, how a Jewish person would hear this. Go back to verse 3. Go back to verse 2. But for you who fear my name, listen, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. We can't think of wings as birds' wings, Okay? When it says that the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, they wouldn't have thought, oh, a bird's wings. What would, what, what would a Jewish person have thought? They, they, they likely would have been reminded of the story of Ruth. In Ruth 3.9, notice what's said. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings, spread your garment, spread your covering over your servant. For you are a redeemer. They would have keyed into that, that actually what wings were was a garment. And in Eastern culture, a garment represented a man's identity, which is why they were commanded to, uh, to put tassels on the edges of their garments. And so they, they would have understood that this being hidden in the wing, uh, in, in this uh, rise with the healing in its wings is this, is that I'm covered in the righteousness and the healing that comes from the righteousness. That's what it is. It's a garment. 
which, which if, if you read ahead and you get to Luke 15, it's really amazing because you have the story of an older and a younger brother and it looks like the older brother's really awesome and, and we would praise him, but the story's actually about how he's an outsider and he's dead and what we see is we see this younger brother who goes rogue against God. And what happens? When he does turn and when he does take heed and when he does come back, what happens? God runs out, which men in that culture do not run. That was undignified. He, he runs out. And what does he do? He says, bring my robe. Bring my identity. Bring the thing that means, in a sense, the most to me and put that on him. Cover the way that he looks. Cover the way that he is ragged. Cover the way he smells. Cover him with my identity so that when he comes to this party, people know that he is my son and my child. Do you know that when uh, uh, we get to the New Testament, that someone would have been familiar with this passage, and I believe the, the person who was the most familiar with it was a woman who, had, who was hemorrhaged and had been bleeding, and when you bled in that culture like that, you became unclean. What does she do? For the first time, there's a Jewish man that a woman can approach and touch. You wouldn't dare touch a Jewish man. You wouldn't, in a sense, talk to him. And if you did, then you would actually make him unclean by touching him. But something different happens. Jesus Christ steps on the scene. And what does she do? She makes her way to him and she touches what? The fringe of his garment. And in that, she's, she, she's saying, make your identity mine. Cover me with the wings of your garment. Remove my shame. Remove my guilt. Remove what defines me and give me your identity. Make me treasured. And in that moment, the something happens that's never happened in human history. The unclean became clean by touching Jesus. And then what happens at the cross and what happens as the resurrection is this, what we see in verse 2. But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, look, the wording is awesome. Who did Christ declare to be? He declared to be the light of the world. He has come. Know this, the son of righteousness shall rise. Christ did. And he says, I have the healing that you need. What you need is you need to be cleansed. You need to be made pure. You need to have all that's wrong with you covered with my cleansing, with my righteousness. But first, it needs to be removed. Expiation. The removal of your sin. So Christ doesn't just cover something. He removes what's all unclean and he covers it with his purity and with his healing and says, clean, mine treasured that's the message of the gospel he doesn't say here's 10 things you can do what's the message of the gospel that we just have faith that Jesus did all of that for us faith faith and repentance there's still time for you that are sitting in this room for all of us that we can look at Christ and say man I, I'm, I'm treasuring everything else in this world and, and, and I'm empty I need the greatest treasure. What I need is this. God gave his greatest treasure in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also gave us his greatest treasure in God the Father. And now the Spirit empowers us to live a life fully and freely into who we are in Christ. We're caught up in a love story. But do you know what people that are treasured do? They treasure God's word. Please turn in your Bible, and this is where we end, to Psalm 119. I had a lot more. We're out of time.
the beginning of one uh, of Psalm 119. Because treasured people treasure God's word. I'll, I'll call the worship team up here, and I'll ask everyone to stand with me because we're going to read this, and, and then this is going to be what we close out in. Do you know why I treasure God's word? Because God's word reveals to me who God is and what God is like. We don't wear phylacteries like Jewish people did on their head or on our arms. We wear the word of God inside of our heart. We treasure it. And do you know what people that are empowered by God do? They follow God's word. This morning, one of the things we're going to do is take communion. If you are a child of God, and you then know this, you are God's, listen to that, let, let, this, let this literally set among you. You are God's treasured possession, and that will never change. Christ has cleansed you, made you pure. And what you do is you go back to the table, like, like this text says, in a sense, we're like calves that have been released. We're just prancing because of that good news. That's the good news for Christians today. We go to the table, and we take the blood that Christ shed, and we remember it. We, we, we take the body that was broken when we remember it. Another way that we give is there's treasure boxes, so to speak, at the end of the table. We say, God, I'll trust you in the giving of my treasures, not because doing this will make me love, but because nothing will ever separate me from the love of God. Read with me Psalm 119 as it talks about treasuring God's word. I would encourage you this week to read all of Psalm 119. It's beautiful. We're going to read out loud. I'm reading in the SV. If that's not where you're at, then maybe just listen because it might get a little awkward. So we're going to read Psalm 119, verse 1 through 8. The band will play, and you guys are dismissed to go take communion. Please take it at the back of the room. Please read with, with me. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in all his ways. You have commanded your precepts, to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Amen.